I'm Kathleen Durkin of Columbia's Zuckerman Institute. And I'm Devin Powell of the Zuckerman Institute. Welcome to Lab in the Time of Coronavirus. This podcast follows the lives of brain scientists who are pivoting to combat COVID-19 in this time of crisis. So Kathleen, throughout this crisis, we've been hearing a lot about COVID testing. Uh, We've been hearing a lot about the challenges involved in this testing. Tests can be hard to get, and they're generally given only to symptomatic people who are believed to have been exposed to the virus. The traditional nasal swab tests are uncomfortable, to say the least. And at the risk of stating the obvious, the test results only tell you your status for that point in time. You could be exposed tomorrow or next week. So our story today starts with Marjorie Xie, a PhD candidate in Ashok Litwin Kumar's lab at the Zuckerman Institute. She is part of a team here that is developing a testing strategy to address these problems, a new kind of test that could allow people to check themselves for COVID at home without sending any samples into a lab. A lot of cities are in a rush to emerge from lockdown, but it's not uh, met with the appropriate amount of testing to control the pandemic. Testing is important because right now, only people who are symptomatic are like observable and trackable. But studies show that if I am infected, I will start shedding the virus two to three days before I show symptoms and that I'm most infectious a day before symptoms start to appear. So you might imagine that during this period, I may have infected my friends, lab mates, fellow subway users. So in order to control transmission, we need to track infections before people show symptoms. And this is possible only through widespread testing on a daily basis. And so when um, Andreas sent out a call for volunteers to help out with developing an at-home test, I felt like I needed to be there. So that's why I'm here. Andres is Andres Bendeski, a scientist at the Zuckerman Institute. He usually studies social behavior, but after his lab ramped down because of the pandemic, he started looking for ways to help. He sent out an email seeking volunteers to develop a COVID test. We've tried to design a test that it's so simple and cheap and efficient that people can test themselves every morning on their saliva to see if they're contagious. And if they are, they will hopefully decide to stay home. We know on average, one person transmits the virus to three others. What if we were testing people weekly? How much can we decrease the transmission? What if we tested them twice a week? What if you could test them every single day? The sooner you catch it, the the more you can stop the spread of the disease. I think it could be a game changer if everybody was testing themselves every morning. So many groups across the country are trying to develop home tests. At the time we recorded this, a group at Rutgers University had just come out with the first FDA-approved home test that uses saliva. But this test still requires samples to be sent in to a lab for analysis. So Andres began assembling a team to create a way to check for COVID that can be done entirely from home. The test hasn't yet been tried on people, but he's optimistic. Recently, people showed that saliva is actually more sensitive to detect infection than those swabs back the throat. And people have come up with uh, assays that are, don't require fancy equipment. So a few uh, weeks ago, we thought that the time was right to try to uh, put together all of these advances at technologies to design a test that would work from home. We asked Andres how the assay, 
the future home test, might be done. You will spit into a tube, take a drop from your saliva, mix it with a few other reagents into a tube, heat this reaction in small volumes in your kitchen for 30 to 40 minutes. And after that time, you will see if the reaction is pink or is yellow. And if it's pink means you don't have the virus. If it's yellow, you have the virus. Okay, so the test turns yellow if you have the virus and pink if you don't. But what exactly is going on inside this test to make this happen? Let's find out. When you want to detect like an infectious disease or anything that that has a DNA or RNA, a virus or a bacteria, most methods are require lots of DNA or RNA to, to be able to detect it. So most of these methods require amplifying the DNA, making many copies, and then detecting it, those many copies somehow. They take a swab from your nose, and then they extract the RNA, they convert the RNA into uh, DNA, and then they amplify it to make hundreds, thousands, millions of copies. And that test requires changing the temperature up and down. It involves very fancy equipment. It's called these real-time thermocyclers that costs maybe $25,000, $30,000. In the course of recording this interview, we were lucky to meet Andres's son. And you'll, you'll hear him in the background for a few minutes. We also heard from Andres how this technology is different. This technology is different because it's called isothermal. So it does both converting the RNA into DNA the same enzyme does that, and then it amplifies the DNA all at the same temperature. So you don't need a fancy equipment. You just need to maintain the same temperature, 60 or 65, and that's much easier to do. There's more to learn from the test than just the presence or absence of the virus. There may be ways to track where it originated by looking at its specific genetic sequence. That could offer clues as to where someone caught the disease. So we'll also try to couple this with uh, sequencing the virus because the sequences then you can identify if the sequence from me is similar or identical to the sequence from someone in a different floor, then maybe it came from there. But what if my sequence is more similar to someone from Italy or someone from Queens, then likely didn't come through transmission at work. The team is also looking into designing an app that will accompany the test or maybe using one of several pre-existing apps. The details, like a lot of this project, are still being worked out, but the hope is that it would track the user's location anonymously. And this could help the team to understand how the disease is moving from person to person, how it's being transmitted. There's still many mysteries about the disease and the transmission. How it, does it happen? Is it mostly at home? Is it Do children and schools play a role? Is it through work? places? What about places with different sort of ventilation patterns? So there's, a, there's many unknowns, so understanding more of the transmission, it would be very useful. And for that, having the location is an, an important component to see who were you in contact with. Once we understand more, should we be alerting people who, with whom you were in contact the day before to, to tell them, well, you were exposed to someone who turned out positive today. Yesterday, you spent 10 minutes in close proximity or two hours uh, in close proximity. You should be careful. So to bring all of the pieces of this project to life, Andres assembled a team of experts. It's kind of a Mission Impossible style situation where each person has their own specialty. There are dozens of people involved, organized into many different teams, from testing and tracking to safety and privacy. Andres is a genetics expert. He usually spends his time studying the DNA of Siamese fighting fish to investigate the origins of aggression. 
I'm not a virologist. We're not clinicians in the hospital where we could think about new treatments, but I feel comfortable with all of these molecular techniques, uh, sequencing and reactions to detect DNA sequences or RNAs. And going back to Marjorie, uh, the grad student we met at the beginning of this episode, she was one of the first people to join the team. And one of her biggest responsibilities has been handling the logistics, bringing everyone together, making sure everything that needs to get done gets done. I think our first meeting was 40 people, students, postdocs, and faculty. When science moves so fast, communication structures have to be made so much more efficient. In college, I was in the ROTC program for two years. Civilians are trained to become military officers. And I think it's been helpful to think about, okay, like where, where is the need and where are the resources that could address this need? And who would be the one who would know about the answer to this question? So wherever the water is stuck, I want to help the water keep flowing where it needs to be. David Ng develops genetic tools for researchers at the Zuckerman Institute. He's helping to optimize the molecular biology of the reactions that take place in the test. We want to be able to detect the virus in, in low quantities. The risk is that a sample has the virus, but a test that's not very sensitive is not able to pick it up. And so it might give a false impression that the virus is not present. So that's a very important aspect that we are trying to address. And Ashok Litwin Kumar, a theoretical neuroscientist at the Zuckerman Institute, is writing software to process images that users will take with their smartphone to deliver test results. For a very clear positive or negative results, you probably don't need uh, this algorithm to tell you whether it's uh, yellow or pink. But uh, we're interested in asking whether or not the gradations between those two could be used to record like the level of virus in the sample and maybe keep track of that over days uh, if the individual takes multiple measurements. So far, the test has shown promise in the lab, but to see whether it will work in real world situations, the team is planning to launch a research study. It's difficult to know what works because there's many experiments you can do in the lab, but once you test it in real saliva, when the viral RNA is actually encapsulated in human cells, things that work in lab may not work the same. So we think maybe in a few weeks, we will have results of how well it's working with real clinical samples, maybe two or three weeks. They'll be recruiting volunteers from Zuckerman employees to try the test. Researchers, staff, faculty, and the results will be checked against more traditional forms of testing. The reason we're doing it here is because it has a real impact in our own daily lives. When the Institute will start to ramp up, we would want to test people, even if not with our tests, with other methods. The project is inspiring teamwork, not only at the Zuckerman Institute, but across different departments at Columbia University and beyond. The team has been reaching out to scientists at other institutions, as well as the New York State Department of Health. We're not the only ones doing it, and we're not co trying to compete with anyone because none of us are interested in like claiming, oh, we're the first ones to develop it. It's not the time to compete, but rather to, to get something that's going to have an impact. So we communicate with people at Cornell and at Harvard and uptown at the medical center, and part of our goal is to develop the technology, but if somebody else develops it sooner, that's even better. 
Thanks for listening to Lab in the Time of Coronavirus. Take a look at the show notes for links to all the things we discussed. You can find all of our episodes at zuckermaninstitute.columbia.edu or on iTunes. Take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. That makes it easier for other people to find us. And special thanks to Rui Costa, Jennifer Ferris, everyone who sat down with us for this episode and the entire Zuckerman team. The music was provided, as usual, by Miguel Zanon, jazz artist-in-residence at the Zuckerman Institute. If you have any thoughts or any questions, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ZuckermanBrain. But before we go, Kathleen, I think you had one last question for our researchers. What is the first thing you plan to do post-pandemic? I guess being able to go back to restaurants again. Visit the Cloisters Museum. It's peaceful, kind of transporting. When this is all over, yeah, it'd be just wonderful to see everyone um, back at the Institute. I guess I don't really know what over means, but I would love to have a reunion with this testing and tracking and tracing team.